Hi, it's Chelsea. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to remind our listeners that Quiet Connection is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support our mission to spread awareness about postpartum mental health and help us continue making content, please consider joining our Patreon account, where you can expect things like ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and goodies in the mail once a month. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dana, a survivor of childhood abuse and a narcissistic abusive marriage. She shares how these circumstances impacted her experience with pregnancy loss, as well as her journey into becoming a mother. Let's hear from Dana. Hello. Today I am here with Dana. Dana, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's it's actually sunny and it's nice where I'm yes. at. I don't know if it is where you are, but it is. It is actually the sun is shining today. That's always a nice thing. Although I'm gonna admit, at the last couple rainy, yucky days have been good for me because mm. as a writer. I write about some dark, deep stuff, and it's hard to do that when the sun is shining. So I just like I, I kind of enjoy those those days that we get that are rainy and gloomy because it helps. I know most people want their mood lifted, but when I'm writing and I have to go back to places that were really hard, it, it's easier to do that when it's kind of doom and gloom outside too. So <laughs> you get the environment to match to match your yeah. writing. Yeah. Oh, yes. So you are an author. Um, you wrote the book Gasping for Air. Yeah. And we will absolutely touch on that. Thank um, you. But the the very first thing I ask all my guests is, well, first, tell me a little bit about yourself. And then if you can, tell me who you were before you became a mom. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot. Well, it kind of all rolls into the same thing. Who am I? Right now, I, I am living in the world of my book, um, but I am a wife. I am a mother of a 20-year-old amazing young man. He was a very easy child, so I was very lucky in that in that respect. But yeah, I have two cats. We live in the country on 25 acres, and it's very peaceful and beautiful. And it's just, it's kind of like everything I imagined when, you know, you think of a writer, you always see movies where writers go away to a little cottage in England or something (laughs) for three months to write their book. And it's not as easy to do that when my peaceful place is my home because there's laundry and food calls me to the kitchen quite often and you know somebody needs something or the phone rings but yeah I'm just a regular person like everybody else just you know I think that it's important to remember though that we all can make such a big impact um, with our written word verbal words so you know I'm doing a lot of podcasting and I, I I just think it's important what you guys do as podcast hosts and producers too to to bring people information or relatable content that they can kind of think about and apply to their world as well, not feel alone or feel connected. Because I know that's how I spent, you know, going into who I was. Um, I, I was actually born to a teenage mother who did not want me. I was born on her 17th birthday. And back when I was born, you could have your tubes tied at any age. And immediately after my birth at 17 years old, she had her tubes tied. So 
when I say I was not wanted, I don't think she wanted kids. Mm, (laughs) Grandma and great grandma uh, uh, required her to keep me because they were not going to have their only, their first and only grandchild and great grandchild raised by anybody else. But it's very unfortunate that um, my mother always remained emotionally distant um, and detached from me. Um, And then she married somebody who verbally and physically abused me. So Oh, it was a tough childhood. It was a tough childhood. Um, you know, something I never want anyone to have to go through because the verbal abuse was really, really awful. Um, he would tell me, th- I mean, the physical was bad, but honestly, I could take it over the verbal because the verbal still to this day has stayed with me and I'm going to be 48. But, you know, he would tell me all the time that nobody would ever love me because I was never wanted. I wasn't even supposed to exist, uh, you know, that I was a burden. He shouldn't have to just all these awful things. And, you know, if anyone I mean, we're, we're on a mother's podcast. Imagine somebody saying that to your your five year old, six year old, seven all the way till I was 18. And my mother didn't believe me. And I'm not sure she cared because again, she just was that distant from me. She just could not connect with me. And to have the person whose womb you were born from, not I mean, I see cats reject kittens, but as a human, it's so hard to even express how that feels. That's a wound. I always joke because I use humor um, to make light of things, you know, so that they're not so bad. But like, I always say, like, even serial killers, you know, they have their mother in the court behind them, you know, they, they acknowledge like, yeah, my kid screwed up, but I'm still here because that's my child. And I've never ever had that as a child or now I we're, we don't even have communication she has nothing to do with me mm. um so it's it's really tough that's who I was and I think that's what led me into the very you know very early on right out of their house I, I fell into the arms of a covert narcissist who also abused me for the 25 years I was with him and we had a child. So that kind of complicates things when you're trying to be a, a protective mother and protecting your your kid from all the things going on. But it's very different from who I am now. I mean, fortunately, I am not in that situation anymore. Um, I am an author, finally, because I went to school for um, journalism and psychology. So I always wanted to help people in some way. And I never in my wildest dreams imagined I would be the author of a book that is actually helping people and that people would have any, you know, based on what I was told growing up, I would have never thought anyone really cared about anything I you know, I had to say or write. So it's kind of surreal. But you know, I definitely want to show people there's another side, you can always switch things around. But I'm definitely much happier now. And I'm not alone, because there's a lot of people out there who, you know, don't have the obligation to care about me or love me, but they do. So life is good. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear you say life is good. You're in a place now where you can say that. Yes, absolutely. I wonder how that affected your journey into motherhood. Is is being a mother something oh. you always wanted? No. Yeah. <laughs> that is a definitive no. And honestly, that was very early on. I mean, I, 
I was like every other little girl. I had a baby doll and all that, but I never was one of those little girls that's like, oh, I want like 10 children. And no, I was not one of those. But I think it's because of the experiences I was having. And by the time I was a teenager, you know, and friends of mine were coupling up and, you know, there were there was one they were just gross, you know, high school sweethearts that were talking about life after high school. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. But it's like, I just look at, you know, people like that, like, well, there's no way there was no way in heck, I was bringing a child into this world. Because they say that you turn regardless of how you feel that you turn into your parents. And Mm -hmm. That struck a fear in me. I'm literally getting chills now just saying that out loud. That struck a fear in me because I thought if I was ever responsible for putting a child through the mental torment, and like I said, it's sad because the physical was not good, but boy, that mental stuff, I never wanted to put that on any human being, especially my own child. But you know, yeah, I was gonna the say. clock starts ticking and, and our uterus, I don't know what it does to you and our <laughs> ovaries and everything just starts making you think some other different ideas about things. And yeah, so after I was married and in my late 20s, I was just like, okay, I know we said we weren't having kids, but it was not a good situation with my then husband um, because we had talked about that. That's something people do talk about before they get married. And we were in agreement. We were not going to have children. So me changing the game up, well, it created an issue. And I got him to agree, but it didn't work out very well. He was a narcissist and um He liked my full attention and focus, and so having a newborn um, definitely impedes that, and and it it just made things that much worse, so. Yeah, and when we were sort of speaking before, um, when we were connecting before doing this, you had said that your journey to becoming pregnant wasn't really the easiest either. No, it wasn't. Um, I mean, it's it's sad that I only discovered in the last couple of years recently why um, mm-hmm. we had some trouble. But yes, I had. I was fertile, Myrtle. I was one of those on birth control, and if he breathed on me, I would get pregnant. Wow! <laughs> so, it was. It was not a difficult thing to get pregnant, and I wish that I could, you know, wave a magic wand of fertility over those who have difficulty. Um, But my difficulty, which, you know, is equally as as bad as that I couldn't carry beyond six weeks, Mm -hmm. Um, my body just would not do it. So... You know, it happened a few times before we had our son and then a few times after. And then, you know, probably one of the the very rare and few moments of consideration that this man had for me in our time together was that he finally did have the vasectomy when our son was, I think, six or seven years old, because it, it was just too much, you know, for for me to go through, especially, I, I I don't mean to dismiss men in any way, but I think for us, because it's our bodies and our hormones, and it, it's not just the idea that a baby was lost or could have been and all, all the things, you know, the wishes and hopes and all that, but it's also our bodies and everything we have to deal with physically and, and biologically. As a result, it just makes it that much harder on us. So, 
Absolutely. And so how, it sounds, and I'm so sorry, but it sounds like you went through that several times. Yes. And with with a partner that didn't really want children (laughs) in the first place. Yes. I, I can't imagine what that sort of dynamic must have looked like. Well, it was... It was confusing for me because, you know, again, with a, he was a covert narcissist. So, you know, to give some people an idea, I was to blame for everything. Narcissists do not take accountability because they're perfect and they, their ego honestly can't handle any weakness or flaw. So everything is somebody else's fault or somebody else's doing. And, and even though he had not wanted children in the first place, you know, the hardest thing for me was after we had our son, the miscarriages we had after that, you know, he would, I'll never forget him telling me the, after the one miscarriage, I I told him, you know, we lost another baby and he just started screaming at me. Why can't you be like my mother and my sister and just have babies like every other woman in this world? And I mean... (laughs) See, now you're going to make me cry. It's such a horrible thing to say to a woman. It's just because, you know, we know whether we choose to have children or not or can have children or not. I mean, let's be real. As females, our, our natural biological purpose is to procreate. We are supposed to make babies in our womb and give birth to them. And when somebody makes you feel that inadequate. And and obviously, based on my childhood, I didn't need any help feeling that way. But it just, he just made me feel so worthless as a human being to think that the one purpose I have in this world, I I couldn't even do that. It's so horrifying that he would say that out loud to me. But that's the type of person I was married to. And and I still tried, though. I still tried to stay positive. And I just had to rely on myself, unfortunately, um, because, you know, part of this narcissistic relationship, which was also difficult for the miscarrying and also for motherhood, is that narcissists are known for isolating their victims. And so he had moved me 90 miles southwest of everybody and everything my family my friends where I grew up we were in the middle you know and I know now I love the peace and quiet of the quiet country but then I was so far away from everybody we were even quite a distance from his family so we literally it was just him and I in that house and you know then after our son was born the baby so and he didn't like me having friends And we lived on a little farm. So even though there were neighbors, nobody really, you know, the next door neighbor had 30 acres. That one had seven. So, you know, to give an idea, this was not like a neighborhood or a subdivision where you would even pass a neighbor at the mailbox or along the street. It's very isolating. I used to say it was like being in the movie The Shining in the wintertime. With all the evergreen trees we had surrounding our property, it literally looked like The Shining. Oh my God. The roads would be impassable. Nobody was going anywhere. No mail, no school, no nothing. Hopefully, you have food in your refrigerator because you weren't going anywhere. So, to give, I want people to understand like I was isolated. So, these things were happening and I did not have 
well, I didn't have a mother, like a lot of people have a mother they can call and, and talk to. And I did try with my mother, but, you know, thinking I could appeal to some sensitivity in her, but she was not receptive at all. And, you know, it was really, it was just a really hard time. I just had to cope with all of that on my own. And, you know, having a child already, especially a small child, you know, I had to put on the happy face and pretend everything was okay. Or, and, you know, I guess it was my choice to do that. But my alternative was, you know, which I did sometimes, let's be real, crouch down in the corner where he couldn't see me while he was, you know, having a snack or something and cry my eyes out or go to the bathroom and close the door. And but then he'd come knocking, Mommy, are you coming out? And it's like, okay, wipe the wipe the face off. Um, You know, get my crap together. You just got to power through. That's that's the amazing thing about being a mother. You just don't have a choice and you'll do anything for your kids. But that made me have to subdue my own feelings and my own emotions and the things that I was going through. So it was really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is so different about your story is a lot of our birthing people that we're talking to are are describing this sense of isolation and there really is there really is isolation when you're suffering with postpartum mental health disorders or or even just yes. in general after having a baby but you were literally in every sense of the word isolated. Yes, and I did have postpartum depression. Yeah. So, it didn't so you were iso- you were isolated in your mind, you were isolated in your own home. You were you I, were yeah. yeah. I didn't have a supportive spouse and I didn't have friends to call. I didn't have anybody. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is a I don't even this is such a broad question, but in those moments how did you get through those moments? Honestly, I just, in my mind, I felt I had to. And I think every mother can understand that when your child, I mean, it was just him and I day in, day out, day in, day out. And I just had to. He was my life. He was my lifeline. You know, he Mm -hmm. kept me going because I have always thought if it weren't for him, I can't say I wouldn't have been suicidal. Yeah. But he kept me going because there was no way in hell I was going to let anybody, especially my husband, raise him or anywhere near him. I needed to fight for both of us. So when you talk about having postpartum depression um, on top of, oh my God, like (laughs) on top of the trauma and (laughs) the abuse and God, it was just piled on you. When your son was born... Did you find it difficult to connect with him? Not in the least. So okay. I, I actually discussed this a little in my book because it was, <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of heck from some people and I apologize, but I'm nothing okay. if not honest. So I'm just going to say what it is. So when everybody was, ha- you know, we were married, we were at that age, mid 20s. Everybody else was getting married around us. Um, You know, then they start having baby showers and everyone else is having babies. And, you know, you get that itchy like, oh, I I want one, too. And it wasn't that I wanted a, a baby necessarily for me. I had left my childhood home thinking nobody would ever love me. How did I end up with another abusive narcissist? Because I was codependent. I am realizing that now. I did not know this back then. But all I wanted was love. 
I was looking for somebody to love me. I thought I could only find worthiness in myself if somebody else saw it in me and loved me. So perfect match. Narcissists love servitude and attention and praise and admiration. And codependence, that was me. We, you know, from my childhood, I learned that love was given or withheld based on what I did. I had to earn love. Like a dog, I had to do tricks for love. And if I didn't do the tricks, I did not get love or attention or anything. So here I basically was served up on a silver platter to this narcissist who said, here's the rules. If you do these things, I will give you love. And I'm the people-pleasing codependent that is desperate for somebody to love me because I have been starving for love my entire life. So of course, I jump through every hoop. Maybe if I do this, he'll like me better. Maybe if I don't do that, oh, he really expressed anger when I did that. So, you know, coming to the point where I had this itch to have a baby, in my mind, I was aware that I was married to somebody that didn't love me the way that I saw other people experiencing love, where it was a two-way street and where it was unconditional and it didn't have to be earned. So, I mean, my mind was kind of wrapping around, you know, and I had gone to school for psychology and journalism. So it's like, you know, I was aware, but I wasn't going to leave because I thought, you know, we're in this, we've been together, we have a mortgage, our families, you know, we're in this. But I wanted a baby because I thought if I have a baby, I am going to love that child like no mother ever loved their baby. And that child in return is going to love me because I am going to be I'm going to make sure I am the best mother ever. And that will be the love of my life. That will be the love that I always wanted to feel from somebody. And I'm not saying this is right I am not saying, you know, it's wrong either. It's just what it was for me in my experience. And so when I had that baby in my growing belly and I was carrying him, I carried him past six weeks and he was growing and this baby was going to be born full term. I mean, I was already reading to him and singing to him before he was even out. I could not wait for this baby. And when I held him in my arms the first time, it was just everything I'd ever wanted. It was, he was my everything. He he literally was my love of my life. Always will be. Yeah. I don't think you'll get heck for that at all. Because my goodness, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want yeah. that after... I mean, you want that in general. I think every mother wants that. Every mother wants that connection with their child, but especially for someone who was taught that they needed to earn love, of course, of course you want to bring another human in the world and be like, this is going to be my best little friend forever. And yeah. This person's going to love me and I'm going to love them. And that's just going to be how it is. Exactly. Exactly. That's and I did. Hope. I was... I, yeah, it's just a lot, you know, the, we live in a very judgmental world where people would say that's not a reason to have a baby. But uh. you know what, we all are very complex creatures and have our reasons and our beliefs. And like I said, I mean, it's just my truth. And oh, yeah. I don't regret it because he I'm here because of him. 
You know, Mm -hmm. he saved me in a lot of ways, but I'm just sad that I brought him into a situation that was uh, extremely toxic um, and that wasn't fair to him. But we made it through and we're okay. Yeah. Well, the whole goal of Quiet Connection is sharing without judgment. So the our our purpose is to (laughs) make sure that people like you and people like me and everyone can share their truth without that judgment without that fear of criticism so absolutely no judgment no criticism from me or from from this show (laughs) Um, so you so you had your son you had that beautiful moment you had that connection with him what did postpartum depression look like for you you know it just you know depression You know, obviously, considering the circumstances, the isolation alone would depress anybody. I mean, we saw that just happen during the COVID pandemic. You know, people couldn't handle it. You know, so that alone, you know, was hard. But then being with this baby and, you know, they call it postpartum. But for me, I'm not a huge fan of labels because I'm like, either way, it was just depression. I was sad. Here I have this newborn baby. I have a husband who could care less about me, although he was very, you know, being a narcissist, the, this child was like his mini me. He was suddenly like, "Ooh, look at this. Like, I can create and mold this person however I want. But he was never around. He tra- So here's the, the extra complexity on this isolation I experienced. My husband traveled for work nationally. He was home. He was home two to three days a month. Wow. So I'm in the middle of nowhere with nobody, no mother to call, no nobody with this newborn baby. I'm already sad and depressed because my life sucks other than this baby. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And then I don't even have a husband that I mean. It's really sad that as miserable as we were together and and as awful as he was to me, I mean, the highlight was like every few days when he would call to check in. And yes, it was every few days. I could if I called him, boy, I would I would have a, a reaming for sure for bothering him. But um, it was like the highlight just because it was human contact with somebody you know well and that speaks to the control that he had over you that he didn't even have to be in the same oh state goodness no. as you for you to to not leave the house right so you know i wanted to be responsible i've always tried to be very responsible about my health in general you know went to the doctor um he asked how i was and i just started crying <laughs> Mm. So he was like, okay, <laughs> okay. So, you know, he uh, understood, said it was postpartum, you know, assured me it's nothing to be ashamed of and that I would be okay. And, and you know, he gave me an antidepressant to go home with. And, and, you know, I tried it, but, you know, I think all of our bodies respond differently to them. And I didn't care for that particular one that he gave me. I just wasn't having good reactions. So, but I was just crying a lot. I was crying a lot. I would cry at the drop of a dime. I would just, like I said, if my son was in his high chair or if he was napping, I would just like crouch down where he couldn't see me or hide in the bathroom and just like, oh, I just would cry my eyes out 
like in fetal position because I just, it was just such a sad and lonely time. But he was such a joy at the same time, you know, because just, well, you all do know being mothers, you know, watching your child discover the world around them and new things. And, you know, living on a small farm was amazing because we had chickens and we would go feed them together. And as he got to walking, he would drive, you know, his little John Deere motorized, you know, gator. And we'd put all the vegetables from the garden in there and he'd help me can apple butter and pick the apples from the trees. And, you know, so it was just... It was so amazing to have that time and all those joyful moments with him, and but it kept me going. So I would have these really low times, but he just filled my heart with all this happiness at the same time because it's, it's such a wondrous thing to watch a human being experience things for the first time, which there's so many of those moments when they're really little. And it was really cool. And I loved that, you know, despite my husband being who he was, I loved that I was able, you know, that we financially could give me that, you know, that I could be home with him. So I try to, you know, that's how I got through a lot of that to answer the question you asked before is just kind of looking at things from a different way. Yes, my husband was, let's just say he was an a-hole, but you know what? Being with him and he was happy, you know, he wanted me to stay home with our child, which was a narcissist thing because then I didn't have financial independence from him. But at the same time, it was a blessing for me and my son. Because we had that time. We were so intertwined and bonded and and had those moments. Whereas if I was out in the world working, somebody else would have had those moments. And I wouldn't have had those memories with him. So it was a good thing and a bad thing. But at the same time, you know, when my husband was home, he he was also just like my mother. I think we recreate unconsciously some of our childhood relationships he was very distant emotionally physically you know in all kinds of ways but he kept seeing like I would be on these upswings of positivity and happiness with our son and then just really down when I didn't have to be on for my son you know when I didn't have to put that mask on and so he started this whole narrative with me that I was crazy that I was bipolar um, this went on for years. He even was talking behind my back to my mother, to his mother, to his sister, kind of creating these ideas that I'm mentally unstable. Therefore, I'm unfit to raise our son. And then he started threatening to take my son away. Mm. And so I was so nervous, like without my baby, like I don't even know how I would have survived. So I was trying to... Be- you know, consider, okay, maybe this isn't postpartum. Maybe I am bipolar. I don't know. You know, you can look anything up online anymore and (laughs) you think you have it. Yeah. (laughs) Dr. Google. Exactly. But I went to the doctor and I'm telling him all these things and answering his questions. And I come home and I'm like, here, I have two prescriptions for bipolar medication. And that just set my husband off even more, you know, so there was always this, you know, dynamic with us that he would say something was but then when it was confirmed, 
It was like, it was my fault. I'm to blame. He said, I knew you were crazy. And now my son's probably going to be crazy too, because he's got your genetics. And, you know, so now he was calling my son defective and I, I just couldn't catch my breath. I mean, literally every time I turned around, I was being hit with something else. And so I just tried to take things day by day. I took the medications, um, some of these medications they give you for bipolar definitely alter you. But what they were doing was they were numbing me. Mm. I wasn't crying anymore. I'll tell you that. I had even been called by a few people a little cold. I was never cold when it came to my son. But I definitely my emotions were so subdued that it just I always said it felt like being a zombie. Yeah, I was aware of everything, but nothing really affected me. And I was on those medications for about 20 years. And honestly, I think that's what got, you know, I mean, I was with my husband for 25 years total. And I think it was because of those medications, because I I don't know that I would have stayed unless I was numbed through a lot of everything that happened. And through all of this, your son is there, obviously. (laughs) is I mean, how much of this was he aware of? Well, like I said, he's 20 years old now. Um, He obviously, it was a little, little house with paper thin walls. He saw and heard a lot more than I would have liked him to. Uh, Mm -hmm. My then husband was uh, very vocal. Um, He was not shy about calling me all kinds of vulgar things. There were two things in particular he called me all the time to the point where I responded to them as if they were my name. And Mm. my son was witnessing this. And when he was old enough to know roughly what these things were, I mean, you could tell by the tone, obviously, you know, he 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 knew there was that you could feel the tension in our house. So did he see and hear everything? No. To this day, there are things that he has discovered that he will deny. He will say that I'm lying about it or that it never happened, which is really triggering for me because I was being gaslighted in the same way by his father um, Mm -hmm. that that never happened. I never said that. I never did that. But those things did happen. And, you know, it's sad when you're in the position where you're thankful when there's witnesses because then you know you're not going crazy. Um, But it's really sad to me that my ex-husband, even during the divorce process and after the divorce, unfortunately, we had some domestic violence situations Mm -hmm. um, where I finally, finally had the courage to involve the authorities who didn't do a whole lot, by the way. But, you know, to this day, my son says that, um, you know, it was me just trying to get his dad to go to jail and that those things never happened. And it's, it just feels very disloyal and dismissive after everything. But I, you know, he has approached me a couple times on things just saying, dad says this, and you're saying this, they're completely opposite. So one of you isn't telling the truth. All I have said to him is, I'm not going to discuss these things with you, because they're between me and your dad. They don't involve you. But just ask yourself who has been the parent who has always been stable and consistent and provided for you. Which of us has always been here no matter what? Because his dad did leave us a few times. He had 
a girlfriend. He moved out with the one time and he moved in with his mom another time. You know, he moved just out. He moved out every now and then just to prove to me he could to kind of put me in my place and sort of threaten me with that fear. So, you know, even that's very torturous to a mother and a child. But, you know, to the point where the last time he did that, my son was was he 16 or 17? But he came home, looked around, noticed his dad took stuff even off the wall and everything. And I went to see him. I said, so we had a talk. And he said, oh, I can tell dad left. He goes, just go get him. He's just doing this for attention. So he knows his dad. But still, it's very hard because he he has also expressed to me that the reason why he denies things um, that he knows happened or, you know, says that I'm not telling the truth is because he doesn't want people to think that he comes from this house Mm. where he has all these things happening, especially because we live in a small town. And unfortunately, rumors spread like wildfire fire. He said, I don't want to be the kid whose dad's in jail and beats up on his mom and all this stuff. So he just denies it. And that's a really hard one for me. But I respect my son's feelings and understand that I can't control him either. I have this theory of motherhood parenthood, I should say, that once your child gets to the point where you cannot physically overtake them, <laughs> you, you just have to hope that you instilled enough good morals and, <laughs> you know, in yeah. them that they'll do the right thing after that, because there's no forcing them into a timeout or anything after <laughs> no, no. And I'm only 5'3 and like 100 pounds. So <laughs> I mean, by the time he was like in sixth or seventh grade, that was it. It's so powerful like what I'm what I'm hearing from you is the fact that you can come from the upbringing that you came from and the marriage that you were in and still respect your son's autonomy and understand that his recollection of his upbringing is going to be different from yours and for whatever reason that might be whether it's he truly doesn't remember these things or he doesn't want to remember these things or a mixture of the two the fact that you have the respect for him to say that okay that's how that's how you see it And this isn't something I'm going to fight with you about because that's not what it's about. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, do I have proof? Yeah. I can show him text messages, emails. I even have voicemails that I have saved to remind myself of the crap that I went through and why I I needed to make the decisions I made. But that's not his. I just feel that what was happening in the marriage between me and his dad is our business And as much as I tried to hide it, I know that my son, unfortunately, like I said, heard and saw things that he shouldn't. And he was not, you know, there was definitely abuse towards him as well that I tried to protect him from. But, you know, again, as he got older, he started protecting himself um, and would push me out of the way to protect me from getting involved in the pushing and shoving and the fists that were being pulled back and, you know... But yes, he, you know, I, I I, just made the very, very clear decision when I had him that if I was having this child and I was raising this child, I had to do it in what I felt was the right way. And I had not had a model of that behavior. 
I only knew what was wrong. So I just took that and did the exact opposite. I was not given respects. I was not even allowed to open my mouth and express my feelings. So, you know, it's just even to this day, he is a boy and young men don't typically even talk to their mothers a whole lot. But and my son is very quiet and introverted, um, probably because of everything that he saw and heard. But you know, that's something that I do respect. Even when something did happen, I would go to him. And he just knew when I showed up in his doorway of his room and he would just be like, I don't want to, you know, or stop. I just please. And I all I would say is I love you. When when you need to talk, if you want to, I'm here. But I know not to push because I think that sometimes we forget as parents that we're not their friend. But at the same time, we do have to I personally think at least that you have to respect their boundaries if you want them to respect yours. And I will say that my my son has been, despite the things that he went through, he has a very good sense of himself and what he feels is right and wrong and how to relate to people, if that makes any sense, because I worried a lot about that. Um I didn't want him to be like the loner that didn't trust anyone or didn't want to connect. But he he's surprisingly very mature and very aware of how people are. But he has so many friends and he has an, a hard work ethic and he I, they love him at his work. I mean, he he's he just he really has is thriving in every way. And that's all you can hope for. And I always tell people, I just got lucky. I don't think it had mm. anything to do with me raising I, him, because I we really was... should have screwed him up. <laughs> no. And you know what? I was waiting. I was waiting and waiting. But I was gonna tell you, do not sell yourself short on that. Because you were there for him every single day, every single upbringing. day, every single day. So he obviously he is the man that he is because of himself but he is also very much the man that he is because of you because you were there and you instilled those things in him and I'm getting the sense please correct me if I'm wrong (laughs) that that like mental health wasn't necessarily something that you intentionally like talked about with him no no No. and and Again, like reiterating what you were saying before, like when you were having those moments of that deep depression and that deep sadness, you felt like you had to hide it from him. Is that still something you feel or as he's gotten older, is it something you've discussed with him? No, we have not. He doesn't like to, you know, here's here's the one downside to the way we handled everything. My son does not like to acknowledge anything any kind of conflict or or division or unpleasance. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. So he actually has no clue about mental health stuff. And, and if he's wondered, he's never asked. He's very clear on what he will and won't talk about. So if I try to talk to him about something, he will just, if, if, he, if he's not willing, he just says, no, uh-uh. Do not go there. So and I respect that because, you know, at the same time, mental health and physical health, I mean, it's very personal. And, you know, do I want him to know stuff? There are some things I'd like him to know. But at the same time, he's got enough in his head that, (laughs) you know, he's he's 
kind of dealt with. But where I say this could be a downside is that this decision of his not to acknowledge things that he doesn't want to face, I feel like comes from him watching me do that Mm. with him, that something terrible could have happened. I could have had tears streaming down my face, but by God, I was going to smile when I looked at him and talked to him and everything was just all right. Like I, I overcompensated for the tension and the hostility and the screaming and, and all this other stuff, you know, his dad throwing things and, you know, all the violence I was overcompensating. And so, you know, that numbing, so to speak, or pretending it wasn't happening so that in my head, I thought I was protecting my son. But I think he's doing the same thing. If he doesn't want to acknowledge it, it's his way of being like it never happened. So I don't have to face it. I'm moving forward. Um, Is that healthy? Eh, In the scheme of psychology, probably not, because, you know, there's probably things that he should resolve. But Again, I just from my own experience um, and my own healing journey, I know that until you are ready to resolve those things, any conversation somebody forces you into about it or any, you know, it's just not going to be productive. You have to be open and willing to acknowledge those things, because I think that's the essence of healing is accepting first, accepting what has happened in order to resolve it. So, you know. 20 years old. He's doing good. Obviously, I love him very much. You know, for him, he's dealing at we all deal with things in our own way. And and considering, you know, the roads he could have taken with drugs or alcohol or addictions or, you know, just not even going to school, things like that, that oftentimes children that come from volatile homes will fall into. He never did any of that ever. Well, I want to give you some of your power back because you say you like put that smile on your face or that was your coping mechanism and that was your survival skills. You were surviving. You were surviving and you were doing what you thought you needed to do or you were doing not even what you thought you needed to do. You were doing what you needed to do to survive. So that's what all mothers do. I think, though, in any situation, (laughs) even not in survival situations, we are all doing what we think is best at the moment. Whether it is or not, or whatever the consequences, we're all just doing the best we can. Yeah. And that's all that anybody can ask of us. It's true. (laughs) You know, and we, I think we're so hard on ourselves and we try to read books and listen to podcasts and ask other people and, you know, maybe I should do this or try that. But, you know, I always just tell moms, just go with your gut because you know your child best, you know your situation best. You know, and what works for somebody else may not work with your kid. You know, I never had any. My kid just started using the potty. Like, I couldn't even give anybody potty training advice because. (laughs) He just did it? He literally. I (laughs) Let me tell you, he was the. I think that's that was God's grace on me for having everything else. I did not have to deal with any of this potty and prizes and putting him on at certain times and all these things other people were doing. He just started using it. That was it. Never wore a pull-up at night. Never went in his diaper ever again. He started going in the potty. That was it. I mean, literally, that does not happen. That is abnormal. So I do think God or somebody in the universe intervened and said, give this girl a break. (laughs) Take this. Let the kid just go potty and that'll be it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, you got that holy baloney. I know. That's a Believe me, experience. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So your son, your son's in his twenties now. Yes. Um, yes. and I mean, eventually he may find himself a partner, and he may want to start a family. Uh, yeah, yes, he ha- we have we have a girl now. So okay, all right. Yep. If he if he came to you and sort of was like, "Mom, I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling to," and and obviously we're all going to struggle in relationships. But like when he gets to the point where if he wants to become a father, and he's like, "I don't know how to do this, Mom," or like, "I'm feeling these things, Mom, and I don't know where they're coming from. Like, why am I so unhappy?" Um. What do you think what do you think you would say to him? I always start with telling him that I love him because mm-hmm. I think that it's really it's not something that I heard in my childhood and I think especially for from a child um or I'm sorry from the parent I think it's important to say that to your kids. You know, we we take it for granted or don't say it enough. So I would just say I love you and we're going to figure it out together and and I would ask him specifically tell me in what moments you're not feeling happier and what what moments are you struggling the most and if he decided to share them with me I would address them and just say well here's what you know but I go back to my my advice almost with anyone on anything is just to listen to your gut mm-hmm. what does your gut tell you to do I I read a book by an author Matthew Kelly it's a very easy read if anyone wants to look up Matthew Kelly. But the whole premise of the book literally was just a compilation of little examples from his life, just little stories. But it always ended with just do the next right thing. Whatever your mind or your gut, whatever it is you want to call it, your guardian angel whispering in your ears, what my great grandma used to say, just do that next and then take the next step. You don't have to make you know, major decisions or figure everything out. It's so overwhelming. Just take the next step. What's the next thing you have to decide or do? Just do the next right thing. What's the right thing to do? And then after that, what's the next thing to do after that? Little baby steps, because I think we overwhelm ourselves. And I think we're the hardest on ourselves. I mean, I say it as mothers, but I think just people in general, we get so stressed out because we have all these expectations of ourselves. And then we allow other people's expectations to burden us. And, you know, one thing I've told my son forever since I I have these like Dana isms, it's like my Yoda (laughs) advice to my kid. Um, I always told him. Life isn't that complicated. It's people that make it complicated. So don't complicate your life. and Don't mm-hmm. complicate anyone else's. You know, life is really simple. It, it really I like is. That. I like that. That is a Danaism. I have not heard that before. <laughs> I really like that. Life Master is not complicated. Yoda's here. <laughs> people are complicated. <laughs> they really are, though. People complicate yeah. everything. Whether it's rules in society or just drama in relationships, people are the ones that are complicating things, you know, and that's why I always like to take my son when he was little, especially out in nature. Some of our best memories, even when he after high school and he was out in Wyoming at technical school, we'd go to the state parks. We love going on hikes because I think there's something that really you gain a perspective of what life really is when you're out in the mountains or in the trees or, you know, near water and just really just quiet and listening to the birds and, and just that's life. 
you know, and we're these small, minuscule little beings running around like little worker ants making all these problems and making all the, you know, it's just, and life is stressful, but we have to learn that the little dumb things that we think are so important, like, oh my gosh, this person said this, or, you know, my kid won't do that. And they, you know, in the scheme of life, I don't know. That's how I've approached my parenting. I've always told them if it's not life or death, it's not that important, you know, in the whole scheme of things. Everything will somehow work its way. I love hearing you talk about your son. And I and you've given me like these wonderful little nuggets of insight into your time together. But like, what are some of your favorite parts or favorite memories of being a mom and being his mom? Oh, being his mom. He was such an energetic little guy <laughs> when, when he was like toddler age, um, going into like preschool and all that. But I mean, I the, the just the discovering, like I mentioned before, you know, when you watch your child discover something new and, you know, some things you're not so excited about. Like when I picked him up at preschool once and he had discovered Twinkies because some kid's <laughs> mom brought him in. I was like, eh, OK, so much for like the organic, like nice <laughs> diet I have him on. He'll never eat what I give him again. Um, but yes, Twinkies are a wondrous thing. And so, you know, I can only imagine when he bit into that, you know, soft cake and that moist little filling that his <laughs> eyes just got so big and, and he was like, hmm, you know, those are the things I love the most or when a little bug would crawl on him or, you know, we used to go to zoos and just I, I just liked experiencing things with him and, and watch him discover life you know it was really cool but the other thing is I always loved music and he was just we would if he was on a movie like I'm sure most kids are well a lot of mothers can relate at least your kid has to watch it like on a continuous loop like five million times and yeah and you're exhausted of it but like we would just love like at the end of chicken little when they sang and danced to Don't Go Breaking My Heart, every time he would get on the couch and jump up and down holding my hands and we would dance and sing. And those are the moments I love. Or in the car, you know, I'd play oldies or whatever songs, you know, even the Black Eyed Peas came on and we would just be jamming and he would get mad at me. Mom, you're only supposed to sing the girl parts. You're not a boy. So, you know, just it was he was so much fun fun you know we were just free and again that's what life is about life isn't about diplomas and jobs and money and cars and you know people and the drama and social media it's all bull you know those moments that you have connecting with other people those are what life is supposed to be made of so we need more of those but I do miss those moments with him because you know, it's not as much fun when they're 20. They don't want to dance with you anymore or sing with you. And they barely want. I know. I know. I'm sorry for moms that have little kids, but sometimes they they get to be big and they they have to pretend like they don't, you know, like you're not even associated with them. But I know he still loves me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he does. And I and the love you have for him radiates out of you. Oh, my God. He's my my everything. (laughs) So, yeah, just the the joy that I see come out of you, it must have been 
it, I can't, I have, I've, I have not experienced pregnancy loss, but from what I've been told from other um, birthing people and mothers is that rainbow baby is just, it makes the experience so much different than it would have been otherwise. And you had mentioned wanting to read an excerpt from your book, and I and I think it speaks a little bit to, to going through those miscarriages, correct? Yes, I wanted to read an excerpt about a miscarriage. It's the only miscarriage, actually, that I put in my book because we couldn't be, it's already a big enough book. Um, it, it was hard to fit everything in there, but I just wanted to give a perspective of, you know, again, with a narcissist, things are different. You know, mm -hmm. when you have a miscarriage, it's hard. Um, but theoretically, if you're with somebody, um, hopefully with somebody that's supportive, you know, they hold your hand and they may not understand everything you feel, but, you know, they feel some sense of loss and sorrow too. Um, but unfortunately, narcissists are not capable. They, they lack empathy um, and they have no remorse for how they treat other people. So, it just really speaks to exactly what kind of a situation I was in. Yeah, I would love to hear that if you would like to read it for us. Yeah, it's honestly one of the hardest chapters that I had to write um, in this book. And I will say my book chapter titles are actually song titles because music got me through a lot. So. The song that, and actually this is, the next chapter is actually called this, but there's a song called I Will Follow You Into the Dark. Mm, and if anybody yeah. knows that song, um, boy, that's what I relate to my loss of uh, pregnancy. It, it just, if I hear that song, I will be sobbing like a baby. Mm. So I'm going to take readers just through about a page and a half two pages tops here of the chapter where I was having a miscarriage. Um, and to give a little insight, we had just moved from the suburbs to the country. He was just starting to isolate me. This was very shortly, about a year and a half into our marriage. So we were just now isolating me and I'm having, a, um, but I didn't know I was even pregnant, by the way. Uh -huh. So I have to add that little tidbit. A few days after moving in, I stood at the kitchen island unpacking a box. It was a Saturday, so Darren was home and watching TV in the adjoining living room. All of a sudden, stabbing pains assaulted my abdomen. I wrapped my arms around my stomach and cringed. I'd always had unbearably painful menstrual cramps, but these were much more intense. Something was wrong. Within seconds, I was on the floor in fetal position and felt wetness between my legs. I wasn't due to get my period, so what was happening to me? Darren, I called out in a panic. He was barely ten feet from me. The couch was just on the other side of the opening between the kitchen and the living room. I think I need to go to the hospital. He slowly turned his head toward me, then looked back at the TV. I clenched my teeth and fists simultaneously when another wave of agony washed over me. I closed my eyes until it eased enough to speak again. Darren, please, I'm in so much pain. He remained focused on the TV. With one arm on my stomach, I scooted closer towards the living room. Darren, please help me, I begged. The pain was almost too much to bear. 
Unmoved physically and emotionally, Darren stared straight at his precious big screen TV. Darren, I screamed, trying desperately to get his attention. I sounded like a crazy person, even in my own ears. I was pretty sure the neighbors heard me too, so there was no way he hadn't. But he didn't budge. I cried harder then. Our relationship was tumultuous, but I couldn't believe Darren or anyone with any capacity for empathy would ignore another human being that was suffering. What was he gaining by being so cruel anyway? Did he want me to die so he could collect my life insurance and buy more things that would actually make him happy? We had our issues, but I hadn't thought he hated me this much. His inaction told me he did, though, a realization I couldn't bear right now. My husband, who'd vowed to love and care for me in sickness and in health, was leaving me to fend for myself in a desperate time. I didn't know if the emotional pain or physical pain was worse, but I knew I had to take care of myself like I always had. So I scooted back towards the desk and felt around for the phone. I stared at Darren while dialing the number to the nearby hospital, expecting him to suddenly acknowledge me and decide to care for me, but he didn't. So when there was an answer on the other end, I whimpered, I'm in so much pain, I'm cramping, and I think I'm bleeding. Would you like me to send an ambulance, ma'am? The hospital receptionist said in a calm and soothing voice, perfectly fit for her position. No, I rested my forehead on my knees and cried softly. Medical bills made Darren angry, and I couldn't risk upsetting him anymore right now. Plus, if an ambulance brought me to the hospital, everyone would question why Darren hadn't, and I couldn't tell the truth. I could never say anything that would present him in a negative light. Darren would likely tell everyone he'd called for the ambulance himself anyway because he's such a concerned and attentive husband. Can I get an appointment with a doctor instead? I asked. That would only cost $20 with our insurance. The next available appointment is Wednesday afternoon, the operator offered. I needed a doctor now, but I felt like I had no choice but to accept to maintain some level of credibility. After I hung up the phone, I rested my head back against the desk drawers. I'd never felt so alone. I didn't have a mother or father or friends to call for help. I couldn't call my mother-in-law or my sister-in-law. What would I say with Darren sitting right there? They wouldn't believe the truth about Darren ignoring my pleas for help. He'd deny my story anyway, tell them I was crazy, then I'd be labeled a liar. Tears rushed down my cheeks at the thought, then I started sobbing again. The volume on the TV increased incrementally until it completely drowned out the sound of my angst. I turned to see Darren put the remote control back on the coffee table. Was my pain disturbing his afternoon entertainment? Oh my God, I shrieked at the heartless, uncompassionate bastard I'd married. The blatant rejection triggered my urge to flee, but in this condition I could barely move. I slid myself with one hand towards the stairway adjacent to the desk, Taking several breaks to breathe and cry and breathe through the pain again, I sidled up the stairway slowly until I reached the bathroom at the top of the stairs. That piece of shit did nothing, said nothing, and probably hoped I'd fall down the stairs, crack my head, and end it for both of us. Once in the bathroom, I pulled my shorts and panties down. There was blood all over. Some of it dripped onto the floor. I leveraged my weight to sit on the toilet and slumped over with my elbows on my knees. I looked between my legs to see random spurts of blood and dark red chunks expelling into the toilet. Every time I thought it was over, more came out. Was I having a miscarriage? I wasn't sure how since I was on the pill. It almost didn't matter, though. There was nothing to do but sit with my head in my hands until the pain and excretions slowed to a stop. 
Afterward, I moved to a snail's pa- at a snail's pace to the master bathroom where I curled up at the bottom of the shower and let the hot water mix with my salty tears. Why? What did I do? I cried over and over, but no one answered. Darren didn't come check on me. God didn't speak soothing words into my heart. My guardian angel was nowhere to be found either. I was indeed alone. Oh my gosh. Wow, Dana. Wow. I I don't have words. I don't have words. Just a miscarriage in and of itself is such a painful thing to endure. Yeah. And to have to go through it complete you, you weren't alone. You he was right there. He was right there and he chose to ignore you. He turned up the TV because I was crying. And I think that's something that being in any relationship with a narcissist, but especially a marriage, what I had found was that the loneliness was more intense because there was somebody there. Yeah. I was okay with solitude. I was okay with being alone. But when somebody is physically there and choosing not to comfort you or or interact with you in any way, that's a sense of loneliness that just uh, there are no words for it. No. There, there are no words. And I feel like all I want to do is like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I like want to, I'm a hugger. I want to like reach know, through the screen. Well, I want to reach through the screen and like wrap you in a hug. Um, but none of, nothing that I can say would ever make any of that okay or better or, and I, I am in awe of the fact that you are here the fact that you survived that and your childhood. I'm so thankful that you had your son through all of this. Yeah. And that even through the postpartum depression or depression or whatever, all of it, yes. you were able you were <laughs> able to you were able to have and give him this this happy childhood, this fulfilling childhood as best you could i'm in awe you're a badass well, thank you i yeah. don't know if i'm a badass but you know <laughs> i just i he was my reason for everything i i've always here's another danaism i feel like you can either make excuses for something or have reasons for doing something mm. and he was my reason for doing everything that i did yeah. and sustaining everything that i did you know, and even through the violent times and the verbally abusive times and the manipulative times, you know, he was my constant and I was his. Mm -hmm. So we got through it. We took care of each other. But I feel for people that are in, you know, the same situations or worse that have multiple children. um, Mm -hmm. And always, I think our biggest worry is that, our children or one of our children will end up um, modeling the same behaviors as the toxic parent. Um, And that's certainly, you know, you were talking about, you know, when my son gets with with somebody and we do have somebody in the picture now. Um, He has not been one to date in the past. Um, 
just never interested him a whole lot. So uh, that worried me. But now that he's with somebody, I have new worries as a parent because I just pray to God that he remembers how, you know, how I felt or what he did see and what he did remember so that he would never do that um, to another gal. But, you know, of course, it's something, like I said, that I'm going to keep an eye on. And, you know, if I see anything, I think the biggest um, issue that I have had, you know, with abuse is that people, even if you're isolated, there are people when you are around them that might notice signs that something is off or wrong. And I think we need to be a little more perceptive. And I know we don't want to get in other people's business, but there are people that need you to fight yeah. for them sometimes. So, you know, I won't be afraid to say something or to pull the girl aside if I ever saw something that I was a little concerned with. Um, and I hope just to be a safe space for both of them. You know, I would support both of them for sure. Unfortunately, in my case, my, my, husband while we were still married had caused so much damage and division between his family and mine he even admitted to me in 2018 that he had told his family his mother and his sister in particular atrocious lies about me to make sure that they would hate me Mm -hmm. and they did dissociate from me they just tried to stay as far away from me as possible I still have no idea nor does it matter what he might have said but um, you know, to just after 25 years have dismissed me like that. I it's it, it's been years since I've talked to them, and these were people that I considered my own mother and sister for all that yeah. time. And you know, it's very hard, but I would never do that to my son or the girl or anybody. And you know, if I am uh, to be a grandmother at any time in the future, you know, it'll be an exciting, wonderful thing. But I think it's important, you know, when your kids are grown, just to be that safe space for them, you know, and then their kids and whoever else and and just support their family because you can never have too much support. No, no. And, and just as you were saying for your son, how it could have gone one of two ways like it oh, could yeah. have it could have gone one of two ways for you you could be you could be bitter and angry and mad and you could you could f- see all of the qualities of your ex-husband and your son and all of those things and you're not you are you are still trying to do the very best that you can for him and you're still trying to be supportive for him and and for yourself and it's it sounds like you are in a much better place now yes much better much yes. much better it's amazing how life can turn around when you you make one little change but yes i'm very fortunate i am remarried um i've been uh uh, I, I've had some people that have said it's too soon and you needed to heal. You should mm. be alone for a while. But you know what? I We didn't really date. My husband, I've known his family. I, I knew his sister-in-law for 16 or 17 years, you know, and I knew his a lot of people in his family. Again, small town stuff. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> but I've known my husband for many years, um, longer than I knew my ex before I married him. So we kind of skipped over all that dating and all that other stuff. But he was just very protective of me when things got the most violent um, and volatile and when my life was actually on the line after my divorce. Um, you know, there, there, the reality is I, I could have possibly not been here today. But um, he saw me through all that and, and just 
He didn't want to let me go. It scared him, some of the things that happened. And he said he was afraid he was going to lose me and and just wanted me to be his wife. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore him, always have. And I call him my gentle giant. He's so sweet to me. But, you know, for people who think that you need to have the time and the space, you know, to heal and think and go through and whatever, you know, I think, again, I don't like to apply something to everybody. We all have our individual needs. But for me personally, it helped me to heal knowing that I'm with somebody who is keeping me safe. And I absolutely 100% feel safe with him in his presence. You know, we're, we're living in his home now. And, you know, that gave me the mind space then to resolve some of the things I needed to resolve. And even if I became emotionally dysregulated, you know, just holding him, he's a foot taller than me. So (laughs) my ear falls right where his heart is. And just hearing his heartbeat would, mine would match it. And it would get me to that calm place then because you're not going to nothing is going to happen productively if you're, you know, riled up and emotional. So, you know, there have been a lot of things, a lot of ways that it has helped. And the other thing, too, is that for all the horrible things that have been said to me for four plus decades of my life, to be with somebody who speaks positivity to me every day, tells me that I'm lovable and tells me that I'm worthy and tells, you know, what I love about him is Like my ex-husband would always tell me the only thing nice he would say is how beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. Hey, beautiful. All this stuff. My husband doesn't call me beautiful. He doesn't comment. He'll come home and say, how's my little writer? How's my amazing little wife who's doing amazing things in the world? Like, I love that because he's acknowledging qualities in me that have nothing to do with outward appearance and that for I just feel like he sees me, but for him to see me, for that validation from him, even though I don't, I know it's not healthy to get self-love <laughs> and all that outwardly, but it helps me see those things in myself. So I've been able to achieve self-respect and self-love because he's kind of shown me how to love myself, if that makes any sense. Oh, so, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I think to each his own, but definitely I think, you know, all in all, I've been alone enough in this world and I'm not alone anymore. And I've been reaching out, you know, uh, turned it into my life's mission, basically, just to create some awareness and and just even to be that person that's just like, hey, I've been where you are. If you're a victim of abuse, domestic violence, you know, in this case, you know, we're talking to mothers here, been there with a few, you know, the postpartum depression, the miscarrying, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Life is hard. It doesn't have to be. I know it doesn't have to be complicated, but, you know, we all need to connect and relate. And I think that's what, you know, helps us to be better and, and to have that support. So, you know, that's what I'm doing now. And if anything I've said um, or have experienced, you know, helps somebody look at things a little differently or helps them feel a little less alone, my work is done. It's all I can ask. That's that is our mission as well. I love it. Um, again, this I'm going to I'm going to end on a question that I ask all of my guests, which is such a simple question, but <laughs> I, I get, it feels too simple for you, but I'm okay. going to ask it anyway. 
So if you could go back in time and 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 I don't know how far back you would have to go, <laughs> Dana. Oh my gosh, but like if you could go back in time and not tell yourself what you were going to experience, not sort of give yourself a heads up like this is what it's going to look like, but tell yourself something to get you through. Like a little nugget, kind of like, like a light in the dark, like hold mm-hmm. on to this. What would you tell yourself? I would say you're good enough and you're going to be okay. Because I've gone through more than 40 years of my life feeling like I wasn't good enough. Nothing I ever said, nothing I ever did would be good enough. And I'm realizing, you know, I'd like to think this is midlife and not later in life, but I'm going to be <laughs> no, 48 in a couple no. months. But you know what? I am realizing that I am worthy of other people's respect. I'm worthy of other people's love. I am valuable as a human being. And I am just now realizing in the last few years that I was meant to be here despite everything my stepfather said. I was meant to be here. I wanted to go to beauty school. He made me go to university. Turned out I was good at writing and speaking, so they put me in journalism, and I wanted to take psychology. I've been spending the last, you know, prior to the last couple of years when I was with my ex-husband, you know, I was scrubbing toilets in these houses in these small towns. I was not fulfilling any potential that I had, so... You know, to see everything kind of come full circle, like, no, I think I actually was meant to be here. I was meant to be here and endure all this stuff so that I could use my talents and my gifts to write so that, you know, I I got a message from somebody a couple weeks ago that they read my book and it gave them the strength to leave their abusive relationship. Mm. Amen. Hallelujah. And if anything I've said on this podcast or any of the other podcasts I've been on has resonated with anyone, then Everything I went through wasn't for nothing. Mm. So I am good enough. And now I know it. But gosh, I wish I would have known it a lot earlier. Yeah. Well, I just I want to say I am thankful that you are here and that oh, you thank exist. You. <laughs> and, and I am very grateful that I was able to connect with you. And I, I really thank you for sharing your story. It it is a different type of story than one that we've had on the podcast before, but I don't think that it's going to be necessarily like an isolated circumstance. I think that there are going to be people that are going to resonate, and I think that there are going to be people that you're definitely going to help. And I don't like the term silver linings, personally. I don't <laughs> like to think that the trauma that we endured was for some greater power but I totally or for some greater reason but I totally respect how you feel about it I I just I want to thank you for for sticking around for being there for your son for being there for yourself and I'm I'm so I'm just so happy that you've found yourself now well thank you I appreciate that and I thank you for everything you're doing because you know if I had had a podcast like this to listen to all those, you know, days that I was by myself with my son, it, it definitely would have made me feel 
a lot less alone and and a little more connected to other moms who are maybe going through a similar thing that I was going through, except for the potty training, of course, because I didn't (laughs) have any problems there. So, Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your book with us as well. Listeners, please check out Gasping for Air. And yeah, I just... I hope you enjoy the rest of this beautiful Saturday and thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you. I want to thank Dana again for sharing her story with us. She is truly a warrior and I'm so grateful to have been able to connect with her. Please check out her book, Gasping for Air. It's definitely going on my reading list. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can support our community by writing a review on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes on social media. You could also consider becoming a Patreon member and gain access to things like bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and goodies in the mail once a month. And if you'd like to share your personal journey, you can reach us through our website, quietconnectionpodcast.com, or by email at quietconnectionppmh at gmail.com. Join us next time, where another story is told, and you realize you are not alone. I see you.